Hi, everybody. Welcome to A Walk Down Memory Lane. Wayne Soares. What a great, great program we have today because we're going to be introducing you to not only a good friend of mine, but a, but a great mentor, a Super Bowl champion in the NFL, Grey Cup champion in the CFL, six-time executive of the year, elected to the Bills Wall of Fame in 2012, the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2015, and the Indianapolis Colts Ring of Honor in 2017. The pride of Mount St. Michael Academy High School. It's a great pleasure to welcome Bill Polian to the program. How you doing, my man? Good, Wayne. I'm doing fine, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to uh, you and your listeners. Yes, thank you so much. It's about 3.7 million of them now, and with a buildup like that, you probably felt like you were on The Tonight Show with the old Johnny Carson, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And even some of it was true. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's all true. We're going to talk about a, a few things here as well. Now, didn't I also read that you, uh, in addition to graduating from NYU, you, you majored in, in, in history, um, you attended the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. Am I correct? No, I did not. I coached at the you U.S. Coached. Merchant Marine Academy for uh, seven years. And I, I majored in education, by the way. Oh. But um, I coached uh, at the Merchant Marine Academy for seven years under – uh, largely under George Paterno. Uh, you may have heard of his brother, Joe. He's fairly famous. <laughs> he used to um, own a pizzeria, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, and and uh, I, I really, I got my grounding in uh, in football um, from George and, and to a lesser extent, Joe, although they, we, we, we were remained friends for life, really. Mm-hmm. Um, the... And, and football paternal style is sort of the, the basis uh, of how I think about the game. So that period of time w- was great on two fronts. I got a chance to coach incredible kids. Uh, if you've never had the ability, the, uh, uh, honor of coaching service academy kids, you, you, you miss something and they're, they're really special. And, uh, and then of course I learned so much about the game and, and, and how to be a professional from, from George and Joe, that um, it really formed the foundation of, of what became my career. Yeah, I remember you and I having conversations about how, how big both uh, George and, and, and Joe were uh, for you. Let's go to your first year in, in Kansas City, and, and I want to also uh, promote your book here, too. Uh, Bill's book is The Game Plan, The Art of Building a Winning Football Team. It is an excellent, excellent read. And uh, one of the stories in here that you tell your first year in Kansas City when you were a scout with the Chiefs, Mar- Marv Levy is addressing the rookies and the backups, and he, and he told something that, that, uh, that really kind of inspired you. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure, sure. Keep in mind that, that I came up as a, as a very poor player and as a young coach in an era when uh, Lombardi was the model. Uh, you know, what the heck's going on around here? Uh, the famous line from, I believe it was from Dave Hanner, he treats everybody equally like dogs. Like dogs, that's right. <laughs> you know, yelling and, 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 and correcting people aggressively was the norm. And so I didn't, I, I didn't know of anything different. And, and, uh, and George Paterno helped me channel that to some degree, get better at, you know, in, in terms of motivating players. But I had never been exposed really to um, someone who did it 
completely different. So um, we're in camp, and, uh, and we're going to go down and scrimmage the uh, Houston Oilers, then coached by Bum Phillips at Arrowhead Stadium. And so Marv, we, we had rookies and free agents largely. It was the early part of camp. And uh, Marv called, Marv Levy called everybody together. And he said, uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's pretty close because it stayed with me all, all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, now listen, <clears throat> we're going to go play at Arrowhead tomorrow. And um, we that's turf down there. We've got grass here at, at, at a training camp at William Jewell College. So he said, I want you to make sure um, – that you pack your turf shoes tonight uh, <clears throat> after you leave the, before you leave the locker room. He said, you know, you guys have really put in a lot of great work here. We're really impressed with all of you. And we want you to do your best. Not everybody's going to make the team, but we want you to have a chance to give it your best shot. So please don't forget to pack your shoes because if you don't have your turf shoes, you're obviously not going to be able to perform at your best. Everybody okay with that? Everybody nodded their head. Yes, coach. Okay, let's break it down. And and I walked away almost open mouth. I'd never heard somebody motivate that way. You know, typically you would expect the coach to say, listen, if you don't bring your turf shoes, I'm not going to play you, period. Right. And that's it, and you'll be out of here. Not Marv. That's not the way he approached things. And so um, I just – consider myself very fortunate to spend so much of my career with him. And uh, uh, I, I was talking with uh, somebody, uh, talking about somebody the other day that that also had a similar association with Marvin, went on to have a stellar career. And I, I said to the person that I was speaking to, um, this individual wasn't created by Marv Levy, but he was certainly molded by Marv Levy. I was created by Marv Levy. <laughs> he, 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 he made my career and, and, and made me as a professional football person. So I, I owe him a debt he, I can never repay. He was, a, he was an extremely highly educated man too, wasn't he? Didn't he have a degree from the Harvard Business School? No, his degree, is, is, well, he was Phi Beta Kappa from uh, Coe College in Iowa. And then he went to, um, he started out at Harvard Law School. The Harvard Law and, School, yeah. I'm getting ready to that, shoot, I'm getting ready to shoot the person that does my uh, my, my preparation <laughs> for this. Uh, well, that's all right. I'm, I'm 0 for right, 3 here with you now. My goodness. Right church, wrong pew. Uh, <laughs> that's right. He, uh, he started out at Harvard Law School. And it's a great story that he tells. His father was a, uh, uh, an immigrant from England. And worked in the, I believe, in the produce business in Chicago. And so Marv uh, went into service after high school, came out, went to Coke College, was five better Kappa, was a letterman in football and track, went off to Harvard Law School and decided after a couple of weeks at Harvard Law School that, that he, he didn't want to be a lawyer, that he wanted to coach. So he transferred into the graduate school where he majored in English history. And but 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 he had to tell his dad that he was leaving Harvard Law School and he had a lot of trepidation about it. So he called his father and he told him that he was leaving Harvard Law School and 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 wanted to uh, pursue a a career in coaching. And as he tells the story, there was a long, silent pause. Uh, 
<laughs> and finally, his father said, be a good one. Wow. And, of course, he did. <laughs> yeah. He became a Hall of Famer. Just, just, just a bit. We're we're chatting with NFL Hall of Fame executive Bill Polian here today in a walk down memory lane. Uh, let's kind of fast forward things a little bit. You you go leave the Chiefs, and you go come to the Bills as a general manager. Okay, nineteen eighty five. Well, actually, uh, I believe eighty four. I came to the Bills as a pro personnel director. I had a stop in Winnipeg as the. Uh, as the uh, player personnel director, Chicago Blitz of the USFL with Marv as the player personnel director and eventually general manager, and then over to the Bills as um, the pro personnel director. So I spent a year and a half as the pro personnel director and then was, uh, to my shock and surprise, <laughs> elevated to general manager in uh, in December of '85. It's so December of 85, and now you, you had, I uh, believe you had, guys had, the Bills had back-to-back. You were 2-14, and 2-14 we yeah. seasons. So you inherit, you. And we were, we were, we were 2-14 and 14 on merit. We were, we were among the worst teams in the league. Well, I, and, and my, my point being here is, is that you take over as GM, you're, you're in a, uh, you're in a rowboat battling up against a tsunami. And and really, the Bills were they were like the laughing stock. I mean, Johnny Carson used to make jokes on them uh, about the Tonight Show. I think you have that, excuse me, in your book. But you had to come in and you had to build that that team, that franchise from top to bottom. I, I mean, not even just talking from a talent perspective. I'm also talking about marketing and and getting the fans back in. Take take us through that. And I believe uh, 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 Munz, uh, uh, Bill Munson. Was, yeah, was, Munson, a, yeah. was a guy that you worked very, very, very closely with. But, 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 what was your thoughts? You get promoted, and you get handed this to you. And what was your, what was your thoughts? You're, you're a young guy. You're a young well, GM. And there, there are a lot of there are a lot of looking back. You know, there are a lot of funny, funny incidents that that took place because of you know the fact that we were so bad, consecutive two and four teams, and and the team was had aged very badly and we hadn't replaced much of the talent. So it, it was, it was hard. And, and we'd also lost our way as an organization. We, we had lost connection with the fans, which is hard to believe in Buffalo, but mm. we had, and <clears throat> we'd lost players to the USFL, Joe Cribbs among them, uh, a big star. Um, we, we, the, the 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 business operation of the team was was had languished because the man who had driven it almost from its in, in from its inception a man named Pat Bergroder had passed away just months after I became GM um, kind of a, a a poignant story um, Pat was one of my biggest supporters and I think he was probably the guy that that was responsible for my becoming GM. Uh, he, he had pushed me hard to Mr. Wilson, uh, uh, the owner. And uh, <clears throat> so Pat was wintering in, in Arizona where he, that's where he spent his winters. And he called and, and, you know, just to see how things were going and check in. And, and I said, do you want me to go around and, and say hello and meet and greet with the, you know, with the county executive and the mayor and et cetera. Because in Buffalo, the Bills are a civic entity. 
Mm. You know, it's, sure. it's not a professional sport, sports franchise. It's a, it's, it's Buffalo's representative to the wider world, if you will. Right. And, and, uh, and, and he said, Oh no, 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 no. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. He said, I'll be back in, 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 at the end of February and I'll take you around by hand. You're going to, you're my guy and I'm going to introduce you personally to all those guys. And Pat had been a pillar of, of Buffalo society for decades. And, uh, and so I said, okay, great. And unfortunately a couple of weeks later he passed away. Um, and, and during his illness, the, the business parts of the organization had languished as well. So Bill Munson, who was, was Pat's assistant, and myself had bonded when we first got there, when we first met each other, when I, when I came as a, you know, no name pro personnel guy. And, um, um, so together we, we set out to rebuild the organization. Um, and, and there were, you know, there were a number of funny things that occurred, but one among the, the funniest are the day I was my, my, the press conference announcing my appointment took place um, you know, it was wonderful and the family enjoyed it. And, and I had still had friends in the organization who were happy about it. And so I came up to my new office and, and I, the ticket manager was waiting for me. In those days, uh, we had thousand seat stadium that since the capacity has since been reduced. Um, but he walked in my office and he said, well, you know, you've had all the fun of being named GM. Now the job starts. I said, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> He said, here's a, here's a piece of news you'll enjoy. <laughs> In an 80,000-seat stadium, we have 12,000 season tickets. Wow. <laughs> and I wow. said, oh, boy. Wow. Oh, <laughs> well, my goodness. No sooner did I de- digest that than the phone rang. And it was Jim Finks, who uh, was a mentor of mine and a, and a good friend, then the president of the uh, New Orleans Saints. And uh, my assistant said, Mr. Finks is on the line for you. I said, thank you very much. So I picked up the phone. And I said, hey, Jim, how you doing? He said, congratulations. You're one day closer to being fired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, boy. Talk about support, huh? Yeah, well, <laughs> if you knew Jim, you know, that was that's his gallows humor to a T, plus, uh, plus putting – putting a, an exclamation point on what the job is all about. But fortunately, um, Mr. Wilson was committed to signing Jim Kelly and helping to build a championship team. He, he knew what straits the franchise was in. And, and while he was always very uh, cautious with a buck, I mean, he was a, a old line AFL owner where you counted every sock and jock, as the Mm -hmm. saying goes. Mm -hmm. Um, He was never afraid to pay stars. And we had multiple offers for the rights to Jim Kelly, who was then in the USFL. Um, But he he never, ever wavered on it. In fact, we had a blockbuster that we were offered, which included a starting quarterback from another team in the league and a bunch of draft choices and, and things that would have restocked our team pretty quickly and I took it to him and he said very firmly no no he said I don't know how many times I have to tell you this we're going to sign Jim Kelly mm-hmm. and I said okay fine and uh, ultimately we did and 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 that was the first step in turning the tide and and th- that was not an easy 
negotiation because his agents, I believe, played real hardball. But once you did sign him, he wasn't aware of, of how big that was for the city of Buffalo, was he? No, he wasn't. He, it, it, as the story famously goes, he was in the office. He was in Pat McGroder's office actually getting ready to sign his contract with the Bills when they drafted him in, I guess it was 1983 or probably 83. And, uh, and, and he got a phone call, uh, which they put through to him from Bruce Allen, who was then with the Chicago Blitz of the USFL, who said, don't come, don't sign the contract, come here, we'll at least double it. And he did and, and ended up signing with the Houston Texans in, in the USFL. Mm-hmm. And that was, it, 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 that was publicly the death knell for the Bills. I mean, that was just, they'd lost Joe Cribbs to the USFL, and now they lose Jim Kelly, the, the guy who is going to be the quarterback of the future. And, and so it just it struck at the, at, at the very heart of where the franchise stood with the fans. It was as though a black cloud settled, settled over the franchise. Those are the words of a local columnist. Um, and, and, and other people in the, in the local media world, including another columnist, said that, you know, let the Bills leave. They're an embarrassment. We don't need this Johnny Carson stuff and et cetera. So um, the loss of Jim was, was tragic uh, for the franchise. And so when we finally did the contract, I said to him, you are not going to believe the reception you're going to get when we come back to Buffalo. We were flying back private from Houston where we'd done the negotiation. And, and I said, this is, it's, it's will knock your eyes out because you have no idea what this means. You're the prodigal son coming home. And, um, and, and he said, ah, it, it'll be fine. You know, I'm sure it won't be that big. So <laughs> we, we circled the airport. We're going into the private part of the airport in Buffalo. And the pilot said, look down. And we, we looked down and on the runway, we're probably, it was a, a riser with maybe a dozen cameras on it. Uh, it was the kind of press reception and police reception you would see when the president came <laughs> to town. <laughs> so uh, we landed and and, and, uh, and did a little press thing there and then got into the cars to go down to downtown. We were Normally you'd have that press conference at the stadium. Mm. Uh, the stadium was too small. The press uh, area at the stadium was too small to hold it. We moved it to the Hilton Hotel downtown to that grand ballroom, and it was packed to overflowing. They interrupted the the evening news, the national news, six thirty to seven, Huntley Brinkley, etc., um, in order to carry the press conference live in Buffalo. And um, when we got into the cars, there was it had to be you know a dozen police cars from various police organizations around Western New York leading the parade down into Buffalo. And we went on a highway that has overpasses over it uh, as, as you go from the suburbs where the airport's located into downtown Buffalo. And there were people on, on, on every overpass with signs saying, welcome back, Jim. Thank wow. God you come home. You know, wow. just unbelievable. We got to the, the, as I said, the ballroom was packed and it was it was like nothing I've ever experienced. And, and nor Jim, but as we was we drove toward Buffalo, he looked at me and he said, "Man, you were right." <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of eye, a little 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 eye opener there for uh, yeah, for, yeah. for for Jim. We're, we're chatting today with NFL Hall of Fame executive Bill Polian here on a walk down memory lane. His book, The Game Plan: 
the art of building a winning football team. We're delighted to have him here. There's a great uh, story in your book about evaluating talent, and it's based upon uh, Kay Stevenson uh, talking about talking to you about one of the worst quarterback workouts that he ever saw. And I believe the, the people are going to be very surprised when you tell the story and they find out who it is. Yeah. Well, Kay was, he was the head coach when I came to Buffalo as the, as the uh, pro personnel director, he hired me there. And, um, and, and he, he such a wonderful man. And, and he did so many things to help build the franchise, not the least of which was drafting Bruce Smith and, and, and starting the process of rebuilding, which, which he, we, all knew would probably cost him his job because another bad season wasn't going to cut it. And, and that's what happened. But it, I learned so much from him in terms of, of how to approach personnel and personnel management. Um, and one of the things he, he would remind me of often was, you know, it's great to go to workouts and, and it's, and it's, it's great to look at the numbers. You, you, you do have to do that. Um, but you also have to remember that what the player does on the field, on tape, in a game, is really what the most important thing is. Because then you find out what that person really is. The numbers and the workout give you a general picture of what his capabilities are. But you don't know what he really is until um, the lights, as the saying goes, the lights go on and there's an opponent out there. And so he would always use the example of going to work out Joe Montana. And he said, Joe Montana had one of the worst workouts he'd ever seen. <laughs> Joe didn't have a real strong arm and, and, and he wasn't a physically imposing guy, uh, you know, not six, five or six, four, you know, two twenty the way Jim Kelly is mm. and, and didn't have a rocket arm and, and, and just kind of very unimpressive. But as Kate, used to say when the lights went on, Joe Montana became Joe Montana. Mm. And, and that's what you have to use as, as the, the, the barometer for what players really are. And I've never forgotten. Mm. It's a great, great, great story. Um, you come to Carolina, the Panthers is the general manager. In, in the second year of existence, you take the team to the NFL, NFC championship game. What went into – to building that team and making it so successful? Well, we, we, we took a different approach there. And, and, and the thing I, I learned in, in that process was that um, depending on what your situation is, you may have to go in a different direction. There's no one way to skin a cat in, in professional sports. Uh, it depends on the situation you're in. So Carolina was an expansion franchise. We had to start from scratch. Um, it was a much more difficult job even than resuscitating Buffalo uh, because people really didn't know what it took to win in the National Football League, much less compete. So um, the, uh, that was hard. And we had built the stadium or started building the stadium uh, based on subscriptions of PSLs, personal seat licenses. And, and when, you know, the, that had languished. So in order to crack the nut, we were going to have to have a, a pretty good team right off the bat. We we're going to play a year at Clemson because the stadium obviously was in construction. Right. And, uh, 
and, and we're going to have to have a decent year in order to, to get people to buy PSLs and buy tickets and, 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 and make a go of it financially. So uh, we had to win right away, which is hard to do in an expansion situation because the players that other teams are required to give you are going to be the dregs of their rosters. So um, fortunately, it was the first year of free agency. And equally fortunately, I had been one of the people who helped um, to negotiate and create the salary cap uh, for the first collective bargaining agreement in, in, in 1993 when I was GM of the Bills. And then I later went to work for Paul Tagliabue for a year implementing the CBA in, in the league office. So I knew all the ins and outs of it. And so we figured out that if we took in the expansion draft the least um, the lowest contracts we could, regardless of what the players' capacity was, it would leave us a ton of room to sign free agents and build our team through free agency. Now, for all those budding GMs out there or fans that think you can build championships through free agency, you can't, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why here in a second, but you can do it in the short term, and that's exactly what we did. So um, we... we we took, I think we were required to take 40 players in the expansion draft. We, we only three factored in our future. And, and then another one that we lost, Steve Berline, Jacksonville took, took Steve Berline. So we were only, really only four that we felt were going to factor in our future. All the rest were just there to take up as little cap room as possible. And then we went and signed a bunch of people in free agency. Sam Mills, who's a Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame, right. Candidate now. Uh, John Casey, the greatest kicker in the, in, the, in the team's history. Wesley Walls, the greatest tight end in the team's history. And a, and a Hall of Fame candidate. Um, just, you know, guy after guy. <laughs> so um, Don Capers, who was a magnificent head coach, had been the defensive coordinator of the Pittsburgh Steelers, put this all together. And, and lo and behold, uh, with the addition of Kerry Collins and, and a few other players through the draft, young players, um, we were able to put together the first year a 7-9 and nine record, which was the best expansion record in all of sports, not, not just football. Wow. Um, and obviously we captured the attention and, 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 and the, uh, the loyalty in the market, uh, sold the PSLs, and then the second year, when we opened the stadium, we had a great run, uh, won our division, which included the San Francisco 49ers, by the way. Mm, great um, game. And, and then uh, beat the uh, Dallas Cowboys in a, in a terrific playoff game in, 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 in Bank of America Stadium. Um, now, there's an asterisk there because – uh, I don't think Michael Irvin played but went out of the game early and Troy Aikman went out of the game with a concussion as Troy always reminds me to this day. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right, by the way. <laughs> but, but, but we won the game and then went up to Green Bay and, and, and got whacked by, by in, the, in the NFC Championship game by Mike Holmgren's uh, and Fred Farms Green Bay Packers. But it was a storybook season and that obviously put the Panthers on the map in, in, in Charlotte and, 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 you know, they've gone on to, to become a, a pretty good franchise, made it to the Super Bowl once 
um, with Cam Newton at the helm and, and now with uh, Coach Rule at the helm, it looks like they're they're building back up again. But uh, the problem, of course, was when you build through free agency, you got to replace those guys because they get old fast, and that's what happened. And, and so uh, after I left to go to Indianapolis, um, the, the 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 Panthers didn't replenish quickly enough, and and the team fell on some hard times. So you, you, you can't build a long-term winner through free agency, but we were through a stroke of luck. We are able to do it that year. We're chatting today on the Walk Down Memory Lane with a good friend, NFL Hall of Fame executive Bill Polian. And uh, speaking of the Indianapolis Colts, during your tenure there, the Colts led the NFL with eight consecutive playoff appearances, seven consecutive seasons of 12 or more regular season victories. You won seven division titles and, of course, a Super Bowl. You get there as the general manager, and you make the important decision, the flip side of what we just talked about. You're going to build that club through the draft, and you used <laughs> your number one pick, I believe, it was a gentleman with the last name Manning. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and and um, I, I Yes, we, we – Go ahead. Excuse me. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, and you also had a very, very important part of that team, and I really want to uh, talk about him also, but uh, you hired Tony Dungy. Right, right. Um, the When we got to Indianapolis, there was no question we were going to build through the draft. We had the first pick in the draft. The question was, was it going to be Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf? Uh, we did lots and lots of research, lots and lots of uh, soul-searching, um, I asked Bill Walsh, who was then uh, out of football, to take a look at some of the tape, and, and, and he did and gave us an opinion. Um, it was a front-page story day in and day out. Um, most people now have amnesia, but in, in, in those days, it was very much – Ryan Leaf was very much the favorite. Mm. Peyton was not a popular choice uh, with the media and fans in Indianapolis. Um and as a matter of fact, uh, as luck would have it, we played the um, Chargers and Ryan Leaf in a preseason game, and and we looked very bad, and, and they looked very good. And the following day, the newspaper had a headline that said they took the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> Newspapers so, can be unforgiving. Yeah, well, yeah, it can be wrong, too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. As they were. As they um, were. Uh, but but the the uh, Peyton obviously exceeded every expectation that we had any right to hope for with him, and um, and then Jim Mora had been our first coach, but we we run into some difficulty in terms of of managing the cap, and because we've been building through the draft that we had, we we couldn't add free agents, which which we would have needed to do in order to be competitive defensively, and so. Um, Jim didn't, didn't want to change defensive coordinators, and so he decided to leave. And as luck would have it, and, and as you know, there's an old saying, you'd rather be lucky than good. And, and I've, I've had more than my share throughout my career. But um, as, long, as luck would have it, Tony Dungy didn't win enough playoff games in, in, in Tampa Bay. He, he, he took the, the worst franchise in all of professional sports, and, and, and got it to the playoffs, but couldn't get them to the Super Bowl. And so they, they fired him. And uh, 
Jim Irsay said to me uh, prior to uh, beginning our coaching stretch, he said, what if Tony Dungy happens to get let go by Tampa Bay? I can't believe they'd do it, but there's rumblings about it. And I said, if that's the case, put gas in the jet and I'll fly down there and bring him back. That's it. There's no interview. There's nothing. Wow. He's the coach. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> actually, we did. We did an, an, an interview. He and I, he said, he, in his recollection, we spoke for about eight hours. It seems to be like five. But the fact of the matter is we were having a ball talking football. It was instant. I mean, we knew each other. We had served on the NFL competition committee together. But what, what I didn't know was how symbiotic we were in terms of, of our approach to football and how the team should be built and managed and so forth. It was, it, it was like working with Coach Levy again. It's interesting. He had no connection whatsoever to Coach Levy. Mm. Is that right? But they were no, but they were identical in the way they approached things, in the way they handled players, in, in the way they saw the game, in the way they saw the operation of the organization. It was identical. Um, it, it's, it's kind of a neat story during the uh, during the, the talk that we had in, in Tampa. Uh, I asked him to give me a, a rundown on how he would take the team from the first day of training camp all the way through the season with respect to practice time and things like that. And and so he, he started to give me the answer. And, and, and after about a couple of minutes, he stopped and said, I see you smiling. Did I say something funny? And I said, no, no, you didn't. I've heard this all before verbatim from Coach Lee. It's exactly <laughs> oh, the way wow. we did things. Wow. <laughs> wow. You, you obviously enjoyed a very close relationship uh, with Coach Dungy, uh, you told me a very powerful story um, when his son died, and you had the you had the the funeral mass, and everybody went right. Yeah, well, the yeah. funeral was uh, at a yes at a Baptist church in in uh, in uh, uh, Tampa. Uh, James was uh, you know nineteen years old. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was it, he was around all the time. Tony's a great family man. He was around all the time. Um, players knew him and almost appear with the players. Um, you forget that, you know, that was, it, that's what, one of the things that shook me was how shaken the players were um, by his loss. But then when you stop and think about it, Hey, he's their age. He's a friend. He, he, you know, uh, you don't think of players that way, but it, but it, but it's true. Mm. And, um, and so, um, Jim took the entire team, chartered a plane, and we flew down to the uh, to the service. And they had us in a in a holding room um, outside the sanctuary, and uh, and then we were going to come in just before the service began. And uh, and Tony and his wife Lauren came in and spoke, and and Tony just told them how much he appreciated everybody being there, and how much his football family meant to him at, at this time of tragedy. And that, you know, we, sh- it, 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 we, we, we all need to stick together to support one another. It was a, as, as moving a moment as, as I've ever had. Mm. And, uh, and, and then of course, um, Tony didn't come back right away. I think we had to play Seattle the next week and, uh, and, and we gave it a good go out in Seattle. Um, that's a hard place to play. And, and, and he called in after the game into the locker room 
and talked to the team and told them how proud he was of their effort and that he would be back the next week and, and we'd be on our way to the playoffs. And, and we lost um, a very difficult playoff game um, that year to uh, Pittsburgh. Um, it, a number of different crazy occurrences took place. We missed a 41-yard field goal that would have sent the game into overtime. Um, and that was our best team, actually. That was the 05 team. That was that, that was our best team in Indianapolis. You guys were loaded. Uh, yeah, you guys were yeah, loaded. Yeah, we, we, were, we were really good. And uh, and we came up short. Uh, and then, of course, the next year, uh, we came back and, 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 and won the Super Bowl. Uh, but, I, you know, being around Tony and, and going through that experience um, was – something that none of us ever anticipated and his example i think and his leadership um, is something that binds that team together to this day mm. Mm. he was a he was a, a describe describe coach dungy um obviously i i always thought he was a better human being than he was a coach um very caring, uh, man of God, religious convictions, uh, good guy. How would you describe him to our audience well, today? A Hall of Fame coach and a Hall of Fame person, uh, mm. and 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 the two the two go hand in hand because if you know Tony as the person, then you know Tony as the coach. Mm. First of all, just like Coach Levy, always positive, uh, always. Uh, looking at the bright side of things, always trying to get people to do their best by inspiring rather than threatening. And, uh, and also a man of incredible conviction. And those two are the two greatest teachers I have ever been around. I mean, they distill a complex subject right down to its essence. And, and that's the way he would do things uh, as an example. Um, I guess it might have been the the 05 or 06 championship game. Uh, we're getting ready to play um, the Patriots in uh, in Indianapolis for the right to go to the Super Bowl, and um, and of course you know we we'd won a few up to that point, but they had the better of us, and it was a long-standing and simmering rivalry. Mm. And um, so Tony got the team together on Wednesday when you typically install the game plan. And, and he said, um, I got some tape I want to show you here. And it opened with somebody in the media saying Tom Brady was the greatest quarterback that ever lived. No one could even come close to him. Uh, he, he would make mincemeat of us just like he did every time we played them. And that he never missed a pass and so on and so forth. A ton of superlatives. And, uh, and, and Tony said, well, you know, guys, that's perception. And, but perception, especially in our game, isn't reality. Let's look at these following plays. So we put up about a dozen plays, all of which had taken place during that year, some of which I think we played them earlier in the year, if I'm not mistaken, but some of which came from games that we played them in, where Tom would throw an interception or fumble the ball or make a bad throw. And he said, you know, you saw the perception and now you've seen the reality. Mm. We do things in a certain way around here. And, 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 and the, the most important thing we do is 
excuse me. It's all right. <laughs> that's you, right? <laughs> yeah, that's me. Okay. <laughs> the, most important, the most important thing we do is to do the ordinary in an extraordinary way. Mm. So all we got to do is do what we do, and we're going to be fine. And he left the room. Mm. <laughs> and, and then we, we beat the, we beat the uh, Patriots in the championship game. We're getting ready to go to the Super Bowl in Miami. And he said to me, just before we get on the buses, bring everybody out to the indoor facility. And in the indoor facility, there was a, uh, a uh, wall which had all the banners hanging on it, you know, all those eight straight, uh, you know, division championships yep. and playoff runs and so forth and so on. And in the middle was, was one missing, obviously, a Super Bowl championship. And he, he said to the guys, look up at that wall, what's missing? And they said, the championship banner. And he said, yeah, that's right. He said, forget about all the Falderall, forget about all the noise, all the reporters, all that. We got one mission this week, and that's to go to hang that banner. Let's do it. We got on the bus, and off we went. Now, the postscript is we win the game. We come back the following spring for minicamp, and he said, um, get all the team. Before we go out to, to the, go to the first meeting, I want all the, all the guys in the indoor facility and, and put the new guys to the side and, and, and you know, and the returning guys right out on the, on the field. So I did so, and he came out, and, uh, and he said, uh, look up at the wall. And, and there was no banner there. And he said, we had a mission last year, and we accomplished it. You did it. Congratulations. And with that, he had the, uh, the, had, had the facility people roll the banner down. Wow. And, and I'm telling you, as I retell the story, I still choke up. It's, wow. it's just, what an incredible moment. Powerful story. And, but that's him. Wow. That's him to it. Wow. What are – what – you obviously, we've known each other several years now, and um, you've become a confidant and a and a and a good friend. Uh, you're in in what you've accomplished over the course of your life. I mean, you know, Super Bowl champion, NFL executive, six times of the year. Uh, you get the Bills, you know, Wall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame, Indianapolis Colts, Ring of Honor. Uh, you've always struck me as a very very humble person is that is that did you acquire that along the way is that how you were brought up what what was it i mean obviously you're around some well, very 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 great mentors yourself i mean where did that come from it, it, it it's kind of the way i was brought up you know my my father who was an immigrant from ireland used to say bill some people are stupid but you abuse the privilege and <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> There was a grain, more than a grain of truth to that, oh. but but I, I I recognize how fortunate I have been. I've been, uh, you know, I've been with Marv Levy, I've been with Tony Dungy, um, Dom Capers, great organizations. Worked for Paul Tagliabue. I've been a guy who who rode shotgun my whole career, and and have had been blessed beyond belief uh, because of my association with those people and, and many, many more, just to mention the quarterbacks, you know, 
Jim Kelly, Kerry Collins, Peyton Manning, Frank Reich. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's been an incredible, incredible journey. And, and as I say, I, I've, I've ridden shotgun. And so as the saying goes, uh, I try to be humble because I got a lot to be humble about, but the fact of the matter is that the good Lord has blessed me greatly and, and, and I'm grateful for that. And it's, it's, it's far less what I did than the fact that, you know, so many others did so much that benefited me over time. How does, how does Bill Polian want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Um, that's an interesting question. I've never really given that much thought. Um, I think as a professional that I, that I, uh, that I tried to do the right thing by, mm. by, by people most of the time. You're not going to do it all the time, but, mm. you know, I tried to do the right thing. That would be more than good enough for me. Wow. Wow. Uh, well, I, I want to thank you so much for, for being on the program today. Walk down memory lane and uh, certainly uh, given us some, some great stories and, and insight as always, my friend. And we got to get you, um, got to get you off the DL because the third annual Wayne Source Celebrity <laughs> Golf Tournament is coming up. Going to give it to you right now. It's October 12th of next year. So we, we, we missed you this year. We'd love to have you again next year. But the, the main thing is is uh, you get back uh, get back in the lineup. Yeah, well, uh, I hope so. I'm, I'm, I'm working hard to get off the DL. And uh, uh, <laughs> if at all possible, I'll, I'll be there. Well, if not, then uh, we, we know a couple of good places for breakfast and, uh, and lunch, okay? There you go. <laughs> well, Bill, thank you so much. I, again, greatly appreciate you being on the program and, uh, and all the best for a great uh, Thanksgiving holiday and, and uh, Christmas holiday in the next several weeks. Thank you, and to your listeners, Wayne. Thank you so much. Bill Polian has been my guest here on A Walk Down Memory Lane. For Bill, I'm Wayne Soares. Have a great day. <laughs>